voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you don't leave us not knowing. You don't leave us bewildered about the future. God, thank you that you give us these words, your words that are sure and steady and trustworthy and true. Lord, these words are not just meant to to give us head knowledge, but they're meant to affect how we live today. They're meant to give us hope. And so, God, I pray that you would impart your hope to each and every person here. Hope for today, hope for the future, hope for those who have died in Christ and gone on before us, and hope that we too one day will be with Christ. God, would you give us that hope today? Make our hearts and our minds alive to you. Give us your words, we pray, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, not knowing, not understanding, being ignorant of the truth that has consequences or can have consequences with how we live. If you are a parent, you know this because you've told your kids something, they've come, and you're like, why didn't you do this? And they're like, well, I didn't know. You ever have that? Any parent here ever hear those words, I didn't know from your kids, and then something has wrong has happened, something bad has happened, something, because they, they, they claim they didn't know. Now, maybe they didn't. It's unlikely half the time, I think. But Paul here, he's writing to the church because they're dear children to him, and he wants them not to be in that place. He wants them to know, to understand. Sometimes not knowing is minor. You know, there was a a call, I was looking on a website that that came in, it's called Not Always Right, and there was a call that came into customer service for computers in in this customer service center in, in Kentucky, and... The person says, you know, thanks for calling. How may I help you? And the customer says, well, my laptop won't turn on. And then and the person says, well, is it, is it plugged in? And the customer says, what? Did you plug it in? The, ba- the battery's probably dead. And the customer says, now I'm using, I'm not an idiot voice. We've, we've done that before. It says, it, it's a wireless laptop. Ma'am, that means the form of internet connectivity is wireless. Not knowing can be minor like that, or sometimes it can be serious, and it it can lead to getting lost. Back in 2018, a lot of people remember the story of the 12 members of the, I think it was called the Wild Boars football team or soccer team. They were age 11 to 16, their 25-year-old coach. They went and they were exploring a cave. What they didn't know was very dangerous. What they didn't know was that when it rains, those caves can flood and you can get trapped. And that team, in, in fact, did get trapped. And they were there for two weeks until there was contact made with them. And they had to wait another week because of a rain. Eventually, they were rescued. But had they known, they wouldn't have been there in the first place. Had they known, they wouldn't have despaired for weeks, hoping, wondering, will there be an end? What will come next? Paul's writing to believers who are wondering. They don't know, and he wants them to know. They don't know what happens after we die, what will happen to us once we die. And that's not a minor thing because it actually affects how we live. 
And it's meant to affect how we live. Knowing what happens to us after we die, knowing what's happened to those who believe in Jesus, what has happened to them, it's important for our hope. And Paul here, he means, that the Holy Spirit means to impart real, actual hope, not just to give intellectual knowledge, but to impart real hope through this passage. They had been taught that Christ was coming back. They knew that he was going to return. And maybe it was because they thought that he was going to return imminently, that they didn't know when he was going to return. Maybe he's going to return right away. They're not sure. And so because of that, when maybe they experienced the loss, we're not sure. Maybe they experienced the loss of one of their fellow believers in church. And they wondered, what happens then? We know that when Jesus comes back, we're going to be resurrected. But what happens to those who have already died? And they wondered. It's a question that a lot of us deal with. It was a question in the second century that was very relevant to them in that day. Back in the 1900s, they found actually a papyrus that was written by an Egyptian lady in, in, in the same time period as this. This lady named Irene, she wrote to a bereaved couple whose son had died, and, and she says she's very sorry, and she was, said she was weeping over her friend's lost relative as she herself wept over the loss of her dear one Didymus. And she and her family had done everything they can in the circumstances. Here's what she wrote. But nevertheless, she kind of ends in a despair. She says, but nevertheless, against such things, one can do nothing. Therefore, try to comfort one another. But it was meaningless. It was empty. It, it was meaningless and empty because there's no comfort for those who do not know Christ. But in contrast to, to this, this pervasive not knowing, not having hope, Paul wants them and he wants us. God wants us to know that we can know and we can have hope. He wants to encourage the church practically that, that we have hope in life or in death. No matter where we're whether we live now, whether we die, that we'll always remain with the Lord. That's, that's the main thing that Paul wants to get across is that whether in life or in death, we will always remain with the Lord. Will always remain with the Lord. And knowing the truth, it makes all the difference in our perspective. Knowing this truth is meant to make a difference in actually giving us real hope today. In how you encounter difficulties and trials and tragedy and suffering in life, it helps you put that in perspective. It also helps you put in perspective something that they were dealing with, which is the very difficult loss of a loved one, the very difficult loss of someone who is died in Christ and gone on to be with Christ. It gives us real hope, actual hope, and it's meant to affect how we feel, how we think, how we act. And the first truth he wants to inform us about is that, that Christians who have died in Christ, those who have died in Christ, rest in Christ. Those who died in Christ, rest in Christ. That's what we have hope in. We have hope that those who have died in Christ Rest in Christ. Now, where am I getting it from? Well, in verse 13 and 14, both, he, he's, he mentions being asleep. He uses this metaphor for being asleep. It's a, it's a metaphor that's, that's meant to give the connotation of resting. You know, when I sleep, I'm still alive. My body is still functioning, but I'm at rest. My, my mind is still working. My body is still functioning, but I'm at rest. And so, so Paul wants to communicate this idea that, that those who have died in Christ, although their body is in the grave, it's, it's merely as if they're sleeping. It's merely as if their body is just waiting to be woken up because they're not really dead. They're resting in Christ. They're still alive. They're still active. 
That's what he taught in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 8. He taught that, that when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. That is meant to be a hope. As we face death ourselves, we don't have to fear dying. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says, so we are always of good courage. This is actually meant to affect us day by day. We're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage. We would rather be away from the body. And here's what he tells us happens when we're away from the body. He says, when we're away from the body, we're at home with the Lord. We're at rest with the Lord. Resting from our efforts. Resting from this world. We're at home. And, and home, it, it gives a, a great picture. When I, when I get home, one of the first things I want to do is rest. We have a true home. It's not this home here. We have a true home where we can have true rest, and that's with Christ. He wrote a similar kind of thing in Philippians 1. He wrote of what he's talking about when, when we leave the body, what happens to us. And so in Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that wouldn't be gain if, if we die and we just stayed in the grave and our soul was asleep there and we weren't conscious and we weren't active. That would be no gain at all. But why it's gain is what he says. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. Yet which I shall choose, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and to be with Christ. That's what happens when we depart as Christians. To depart is to be with Christ. And he says, that is far better being with Jesus is far better. He's not talking about resting in a grave. He's, he's talking about our, our bodies are there, but, but our souls, our spirits are immediately with Christ. It's the same kind of thing when, when Jesus was dying on the cross and there was one thief who was ridiculing Christ. The other thief, he corrects him. And he says, you know, this man is suffering unjustly. And then he turns to Jesus and he puts his trust, his faith in Jesus, probably in his dying moments and he says remember me this day when you go into your kingdom remember me because he's trusting that Jesus is going to go into his kingdom and he's asking he's putting his trust in Jesus and and Jesus's response is informative and that's probably what Paul has in mind as well because Jesus says truly I say to you today you'll be with me in paradise I love the imagery of Stephen when he was being stoned to death. What a terrible picture that is, but something that's wonderful is that while he's being murdered, he opens his eyes, he looks up, he sees Jesus. And there's comfort. There's comfort in seeing Jesus. And, and he knows that as soon as he is put to death, he'll be with Jesus. And it says, as they were stoning Stephen, he calls out, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. There is rest, true rest, for all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, when, when Jesus died, he paid the penalty for all of our sins so that there no longer remains any punishment, there no longer remains any suffering, there no longer remains any shame, any guilt. And so when we die, there is then rest. Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death has been removed. In a sense, it says, as if believers' bodies are sleeping, even if they've decayed, they only need to be reawakened by Christ. And yet our souls live on. They are resting in Christ. Now, that's not the final state, by the way. And when we encourage people with this, which we're meant to do, 
this is not the end of encouragement. It's not the final state because the final state is what we're going to talk about in a minute, which he encourages all of us with, is that one day our, our bodies will be resurrected as well. So all those who have died, they're resting in Jesus, but it's a temporary rest. Now he says, I want you, I want you to know these things so that you don't grieve like those who have no hope. Who's he talking about? He's writing here to brothers, or, or really the word is Adelphi, it means brothers and sisters, brethren. And so he's writing to them. He says, I, I want you to have hope because those who are not brothers and sisters in Christ, they don't have hope. And so I want you to grieve not like those who are outside of Christ because those outside of Christ have no hope for the future. Now he's not saying here, and some people have misused the scripture to say that Christians shouldn't grieve. That's bad teaching. We do grieve. We just grieve with hope. We mourn that we die. Still, we mourn the effects, the remaining effects of sin in our bodies. Death is still wrong. It's against a created order. It's not how things were meant to be. It's a result of the fall and corruption. It's not what God built us for. And so we mourn, and there's a time for mourning. But while we mourn, we don't mourn hopelessly. We mourn those who are in Christ. But we mourn our loss. We don't mourn for them. Does that make sense? We don't, we don't mourn for them. We mourn our loss. But we, there is no loss for them. And Paul here, he's distinguishing between two types of people, those without hope don't know Christ and those who do know Christ. Now this is a, a, a both a sobering reality. I have, I have relatives who died who were not in Christ and they're sobering. And it's also provoking too because it makes us, makes us want to live to proclaim the truth of Christ to those who don't know Christ so that they can have hope in Christ. And he's distinguishing these two types of people, and he says, those who are outside of Christ have no hope, but you who are in Christ. We don't want you to grieve like the rest of them do. You don't have to be thrown into a bottomless sorrow. All those who have died in Christ, it's just like they're asleep. All they have to do is be woken by Christ. That's how easy it is for the body to come up when Christ calls, and that's what we see in this passage later. Father, we mourn now, we, we should be comforted. That's what Matthew, Jesus told us in Matthew 5, 4, he says, although we mourn now, you will be comforted. What he's talking about is we'll be comforted in the resurrection. Right now, we can be comforted to know that believers who die in Christ are not sad. If I think of my grandmother who, before she died, she said, I'll see you in heaven. And she was had this huge smile on her face. She was suffering when she had this huge smile on her face because she knew that she wouldn't be suffering. We mourn with hope because we know that believers are resting in Christ. They're not sad. They're not grieving. You might miss them. I don't, they don't miss being here. They're not in mourning, they're with Jesus. Believers who've fallen asleep are with the creator of the universe, the creator of beauty and wonder, the original. Think about this, who, who, what being in rest with Christ means that we're with the creator of the universe, the, the God who, who created art, 
and beauty and music, the most brilliant one in the universe, the creator of humor and laughter, the, the one who creates all goodness and enjoyment. Now think, do, do you really want them to be back with you? No, because they're resting in Christ, the one in whom is all of our delights, the one who delights and sings over his children, the one who withholds no good thing from those who are in him. All those who die in Christ are with the Lord of glory, resting in him. And so Paul's saying, I want you to not grieve as those without hope. Their bodies merely need to be awakened by Christ. And the second truth that Paul is informing us of in this passage, is it's meant to transform our perspective, not only on the Christians rest in Christ, they're, they're resting in Christ now, but we have hope that, that Christ will return. This is not a permanent state. Christ will return. We have hope that he will return. And, and he mentions this in, in, in several different ways in this passage. And as he does this, Paul wants to give us assurance. You know, if, if I was going to promise you something, I'd say, I give you my word. My word is only as valuable as my character and what I've proven in my character to be reliable or not. If, if someone who was untrustworthy, a con man or criminal or politician, whatever you think of as a person as not trustworthy, if they came to you and said, I give you my word, you might have reason to doubt. You know, if somebody says, trust me, I'm from the government, you might think, mm, probably not. But in verse 15, Paul says, we declare this to you by a word from the Lord. God, who is only perfect, who is only true, who is only trustworthy, who is only holy, who is only good, who is always faithful. We declare to you by a word from the Lord. And then he, he talks about the fact that, that Christ is coming again. He says, we who are left until the coming of Christ, Christ is coming again. This is not a platitude because we're afraid of dying. This is not a platitude to make ourselves feel better. And it's not speculation. This is a word from the Lord. And it's meant to give us encouragement. And Jesus himself tells us this is true. And, and Jesus' word is, is good and it's powerful. And it's able to create life. It's trustworthy. It's sure. And he says he's coming again. And, and I love this. He says, the Lord himself. He's not going to send someone else. The Lord himself, Jesus himself, will descend from heaven. That's what it tells us in verse 16. Jesus isn't going to remain distant. He's not, he's not up in heaven forever. He's going to come from heaven, and he's coming for a purpose. He's going to return so that we can be with him. He's going to come for us. In, in the Old Testament times, and actually in, in Jesus' times, the, there would be a contract for marriage made and the, the groom would go and make an agreement with the bride's father and, and then he would go to her and they would agree together to be married and then she would have a time away when he went back to prepare a place, a place in his father's house and his father's property, uh, uh, their own place, their own dwelling place, their own separate rooms, if you will. And so he would go away. But then when he would come back, he would come back and he would return. And he, as he returned, they would, they would trumpet, they would herald the return. And then this, this beautiful return is this, the, the groom would be coming back to retrieve the bride. And then they would go to enjoy life together. Jesus is returning 
He will come for us. We have hope because of his word. But not only do we have hope that he's going to return, we have hope that he's going to resurrect to new life. We have hope that he's not going to leave us just like we are. That's really good news. You know, I was telling Aaron this past week, I was like, you know, um, I I got to enjoy uh, some time away on vacation. It was wonderful. But the more I take vacations, the more I realize just how weak I'm getting. The older I get, the weaker I get, the older I get, I just realize I have less energy. I have less ability. I wish that wasn't true. But here's the, the good news. One day we'll be made new. We have hope that Christ will resurrect to new life. And that's hope for my body, but it's also hope for the bodies of those who've died in Christ, who have died in infirmity. I, I, you know, I hate going to the funeral of unbelievers. Uh, over the years, I've had a chance to go to all kinds of different funerals. And, and funerals can be good because they make you think about what you're living for. They make you think about life, the brevity of life. They make you think about the reality is that one day this life will be over. But when you go to the funeral of unbelievers, I don't, I don't, I don't like it because there's such a sense of loss. And, and there's often empty platitudes. You know, they say, well, they're in a better place, but all I can think is, no, they're not. And, and there's grief and there's mourning that's uncomforted. One of the most jarring funerals I was ever at was one of the first funerals I did, and it was a funeral of someone who had been a member of a gang in Vancouver, and they had committed all kinds of crimes, and they were found dead in a house, been shot like 26 or 27 times. And it was the brother of one of the people who worked for me, and, and he, he was, I was the only Christian he knew, and he says, hey, would you, would you do the funeral? And, and I agreed and I wrestle with what in the world do I communicate because there was such a sense of finality and loss and, and the mom she came up to the casket that was right at the front right before the service started she came up at the front and she was wailing and screaming at the top of her lungs and it was resonating throughout this, this cathedral that we're in and, and she's wailing and it's unconsolable what I ended up preaching was what he would want you to know now is that there's hope in Christ We have hope that Christ, if all those who are in Christ, he will resurrect to new life. And that's that's meant to reassure us and it's also meant to motivate us. We have hope in the resurrection of Christ that because Christ has been resurrected, if we have been united with Christ, we are in Christ, then it's impossible for us to be separated from him, is what scripture tells us. Jesus says, no one can snatch them from my hand. I and the Father are one. No one can take them from my hand. So if we are in Christ, no one can take us out of Christ, not even us, because we can't open up God's hand. And so he says, for all who are in Christ will be resurrected. And he says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. What that means is, since we believe that this is true, Jesus died, he rose again. And because we're united with him, he says, through Jesus, God will bring with him all who've fallen asleep. All those who are in Christ will be brought back to life with Christ, just like Christ, because we trust in the resurrection life of Christ. And the basis for our hope is is the fact that he died and he rose again. For all who trust in his sacrificial death on our behalf, 
no sacrifice for sin remains. There's no longer a penalty of death. The penalty of death has been removed. Death can't hold those who are in Christ. There, there won't be a second death for those who are in Christ. Instead, he says, those who fall asleep, he'll resurrect their bodies as well. And he tells us something that was comforting to the church then. It's comforting to us now. He says, you know, no, um, because they died prior to Christ's return does not mean they're missing out on the resurrection. No, he says, actually, when, when he returns, he's going to resurrect their bodies first because that needs to be done first. Because our bodies are still here. He can make our bodies new, but he needs to resurrect their bodies. Now, whether that's from dust, like he talks about in, second, in, in 1 Corinthians, it's a, a seed, it's a kernel, because our these bodies are not what they're going to be in our resurrection bodies. We have a new spiritual body. He says, but, but both, those who are alive, who are left at the coming of the Lord, meaning those who are still here, not dead, and those who are dead, he says, the Lord will descend from heaven, and I love this, he says, with a cry of command. Do you remember when Jesus went to Lazarus' grave? And he says, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't ask he didn't say, Lazarus, what do you think? Lazarus, would you please? He commanded. And he commanded, and Lazarus immediately was raised from the dead. And, and you know, I know the, the old joke is that if he hadn't specified Lazarus, that all the dead, all the dead in the graves around would have been resurrected. And, and that's, that's really true because he says, with a cry of command. And this is a, that the word here refers to this command that, that stimulates action that always results in action. It's like the command that a charioteer gives to horses or that hunters give to hounds or a captain of a ship gives to rowers. The kind of command that summons soldiers to war with a trumpet. It's a call to arms. This is a command that Christ gives that will be obeyed. He says he'll descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And this command will cause the bodies of all those who have died in him to raise from the grave. And those who died in Christ will be reunited body and spirit as a new heavenly man. All those who have died in Christ, trusting in Christ, believing in him, all those whose life is hidden with Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. That's good news. That's good hope. Not only that, we have rest in Christ. We know that he's going to return He's going to resurrect us. We have hope that in Christ we will be reunited. We have hope that all in Christ will be reunited. You know, some people say, well, you know, we shouldn't really be happy about going to see those relatives who are, have already died in Christ, that we're going to be reunited with them primarily. It's just about being reunited with Christ. Well, that, it, in a sense, I get where that's coming from, because the greatest thing is to be with the greatest one, the, the Lord of all glory, the one who fulfills all of our deepest longings. But he doesn't denigrate the fact that we're going to be reunited with those who died in Christ. 
He says, we. He says, we who are alive will be called up together with them. And we together with them will always be with the Lord. There's a comfort in knowing that I'm going to be reunited with my grandmother, with my mom, with, with Jim Hubert, who died here years ago, and all those who've died in the faith. And, and God gives us that comfort of a reunion of loved ones in him, together with him. I, I used to love... When I was a kid, going to family reunions, we, we'd either go to one or two places, um, depending on the time of year, and so we would, we would go up to the mountains where my grandfather was on that, that side of the family, and we would all play wiffle ball together. No one got hurt, by the way. And um, <laughs> Sorry, ask me later. Um, we, <laughs> we, would, we, would, we would all go, and it was great because I would see cousins that I hadn't seen pretty much for most of the year and we'd have a great time, and I would get to be with those I loved, and there was something about it that was just good to be with loved ones, good to be with family. And, and, or at times we'd go down to the Chesapeake Bay, and, and we would go, and we'd have a, a, a crab bake. We'd roll out the brown paper on the tables, and we would um, steam crabs and crack them on the table. It was good to be with all of, all of our friends and family there. It was, it was good to be together. And, and yet we're told about a greater reunion that all reunions here on earth are just but a dim shadow and picture of. You know, the best Thanksgiving can't compete. We have a hope that we're going to be reunited in Christ. We're going to meet him together with him. And he says we'll be with him in the clouds. And I think that's referring to the fact that, that where Jesus is is where the, the glory cloud is. The glory cloud that descended on Zion. The, the cloud of glory, the presence of the Lord. We're going to be with him in the clouds. Now, now some people would take this, this passage and they would try to figure out exactly what does it look like? When is that going to happen? What is the exact timing? How does that look? That's not the purpose of this passage. All Don't do that with this passage. This passage is, is meant for one thing. It's meant to give you hope to encourage you. That's what it's for. It's not to, to satisfy our speculations. And, and sometimes we have to tamp those down and say, you know, this is not what it's about. Like, what does this mean? He's going he's to come back and we're meet him in the clouds. And does that mean that then we're going to come down right then or we're going to go back up? Or what is it? That's not the point. The point is that we're going to be with Jesus. That's meant to give us hope and encouragement. He's coming back to resurrect you and all who are in him. That's good news. This is the best of family reunions. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. There's a joy in knowing that we're part of God's family. We're, we're part of his brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in Christ. And that together we we get to share this joy together. You know, if you're, you ever go to the movie by yourself, it's not as good as going with somebody else and like you can talk about it or if you experience something fun, it's better when you talk about it with somebody else. What he's saying here is that you're gonna have the best time because you're all gonna be together all experiencing the Lord of glory together. And then he tells us the effect of that. What are we meant to do with this? He says in, in verse 18, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. What an encouragement this is. There's no trial that will ever separate those who are in Christ from Christ. Did, did you get that? There's no trial, there's no difficulty for those in Christ that will ever separate you from Christ. 
there's no sickness, there's no suffering that will separate those who are in Christ from Christ. There's no hardship, there's no calamity, there's no danger, there's no harm. The end of Romans 8, he tells us, he says, not even death will separate those who are in Christ from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. This is meant to be true encouragement that no matter how you feel, we will always be with the Lord. I love that. We will always be with the Lord. Christian, there's nothing in your life, past, present, or future, that can keep you from the Lord. And if you believe that this life is all there is, and that there's no life after death, that'll affect how you live. If you have that kind of belief, there's no hope. That kind of belief results in the devaluing of life, trying to hang on to this life as if this is all there is. It can lead to the wrong idea of YOLO, you know, you only live once. So do whatever you want, whatever makes you happy here and now. But, but living in light of the resurrection means living for a purpose that isn't only here. It means that we don't put all of our hope in our physical bodies. We don't despair as we age and we become weak and fragile. But we trust in him for our bodies in the future. Living the right of resurrection, it means living with the end in mind. It means living with eternity in mind daily. And, and it affects what we live for, how we live. And, and not the treasures of this earth, but the treasures of heaven. It affects our conviction. It affects our, our courage in sharing the gospel. It's actually meant to give us motivation. What we've been talking about in our small groups in Saturate this past month was our missionary identity. This is meant to inform our missionary identity. All who die in Christ are with Christ and always will be with Christ. You know, the New City Catechism that we've been going through as a church, it's, it's meant to transform how we think. We're not just doing this because we like questions and answers. We're doing this because doctrine makes a difference. What we believe affects how we feel and how we act. And, and I love the very first question. The very first question was, what is our only hope in life and death? You remember that? Anybody remember the answer to that? You, get, you know what? I'll give you two Chick-fil-A gift cards. If you don't look it up, don't look it up on your phone right now. Don't, don't look on any cheat sheets. What's our only hope in life and death? Anyone want to try to give it a shot in the answer? Yeah, go ahead. That's awesome, Jude. That's great. That we are not our own, but we belong to God. Or the, the, the longer adult version. By the way, he got it right. That's the kid version, by the way. There's two different versions here. But... We're not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is truth that's meant to affect us. We're not our own, but we belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. All in Christ will remain in Christ. We have hope in life and in death, that we will always remain with the Lord. That's good news, amen? Let's pray, and as we do, I'll have the band come up, and we'll, we'll sing a closing song. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us hope. It's a real hope. It's guaranteed by you, by your word, not by us, 
Not by how well we believe it. Not by how much we understand it. But Lord, you guarantee our hope in life and in death. Jesus, I pray that for those who do not know you, who are not in you, I pray that you would give the gift of conviction to turn away from sin and trusting in ourselves and that you would give us the ability to turn to trust in you even when we don't know how to trust in you when our trust is feeble God will we cry out to you and say God I believe help my unbelief God for the believer who is doubting I, I pray that you would give the gift of faith faith to say God I don't understand it all I don't, I don't get how it's all going to work but God you say it's true so I'm going to choose to trust in you and God, I pray that you would give hope through that. God, I pray that you would give hope to all here who have lost loved ones who died in Christ. I pray that you would give comfort. God, I pray that you would give comfort to all of us who are in Christ, that we know that we will rest in you, that we'll be forever with you, that you'll resurrect us one day. God, I pray that you would give real encouragement to everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.